Amen. I love Christmas. Do y'all like Christmas? I tell you, I love this season. I love the music. I love uh, some of the traditional stuff, especially that we sing uh, here in our churches, just like we did, O Come All Ye Faithful. Hey, I love songs like Silent Night as well, especially like when we come together on Christmas Eve. It's kind of a special traditional time for us, and I love to be able to sing that song. One of my favorite songs, O Holy Night. So thanks, Jen, for singing that for us today and leading us in that. I love that song as well. I do love some of the songs outside of the church as well. I'll go ahead and admit that. Like, I like some of the other Christmas music. Maybe it's like a classic, like White Christmas that I like. But I also like stuff like Rocking Around a Christmas Tree. I know I'm not supposed to say that in a Baptist church and probably a pastor of all people. But I like something like that. I also even like the music like Blue Blue Christmas. I like Blue Blue Christmas. You know why? Because 23 years ago yesterday, I was riding through downtown Tupelo with my girlfriend, Leslie Neves. Actually, we were riding in a horse carriage. How romantic to be in a carriage in downtown Tupelo. And in the background, playing on the little, we called it a boombox, I think, was playing Blue Blue Christmas by Tupelo's own Elvis Presley. And I got down on one knee and I asked her to marry me and to be my wife. 23 years ago yesterday. So I kind of like that song. I like Christmas. I like Blue Blue Christmas because it reminds me of that. I love the sounds of Christmas. This is a great season. Certainly a season that should encourage us a season that should bring us joy. Did you know that when you look at Scripture, though, there are songs that are found in Scripture? There are actually four, some would say five, songs that you find that surround the birth, infancy narratives of Scripture. All of them are found in the Gospel of Luke. And that's where I want us to turn today is to the Gospel of Luke. And I want to show you the first one I'm going to share. Over the next few weeks, I want you to hear the sounds of Christmas but I want you to hear the sounds of Christmas, the songs of Christmas, as they are given to us in Scripture. So Luke chapter 1, we find the song of Mary. This is what I call Mary's Christmas carol, as she sings unto the Lord. Now the context of this, chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke, reminds us that the angel Gabriel had shown up to the young Mary. And had made an announcement that she would have a child. And that this child would be the king that had been promised. Of course, she had many questions. She willingly gave herself to the Lord's will no matter what was before her. The angel also said, hey, your relative Elizabeth, she's having a baby as well. We know that baby to be John the Baptist. But she's having a child as well. I know she's older. I know she couldn't have one as we would think about it. But I've worked in her life too and she's pregnant. And as Mary heard those words, as she responded to the angel's message, she also went and visited her relative Elizabeth. And she stayed there a few months with Elizabeth. And Elizabeth basically confirmed everything the angel had said, had brought further confirmation into her life. And this is how she responds. Beginning in verse 46 of that first chapter of Luke's gospel. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, 
and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. So hear her song. Hear her song of praise. Hear her song of worship as she's just processing all that God is doing in her life. She naturally responds with an intimate expression of joy over what God had done. She had got, given an intimate expression. I want to show you this as we work through here that this is from the recesses of Mary's spirit and soul. Notice how she had said it. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced. So in other words, from the depths of her spirit and her soul, she was crying out. She was proclaiming. She was declaring what God had done. This was an intimate expression. As someone has said, this just isn't a response to what Elizabeth had said. This is rather an expression of her emotions and experience before God. This was where she was personally connecting my soul, my spirit. You know, when we come and we think about worship, we have to think about how worship does impact us personally and how we respond in an intimate way how it becomes deeply personal for us. All good worship is deeply personal worship. Even when I look back in the Old Testament, for example, there are a lot of similarities and parallels with 1 Samuel chapter 2. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, there's a lady named Hannah. And Hannah had not been able to have children, and because of that, there was a lot of contempt and ridicule in her household. And she had gone before the Lord, you may remember the story, and had cried out to him in the temple. The priest thought she was drunk because she was giving all of herself to the Lord in prayer. And as God heard her prayer and answered and opened her womb and gave her a son, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, she praises the Lord. It, it's very similar to what Mary says here, if you look at it. And it is deeply personal because... She had recognized what God had done. The ancient hymn book of Israel. That would be what? The Psalms. The Psalms are the ancient hymn book of Israel. And what do you see in the Psalms? A personal collection. So many times when you read the Psalms, and I think that's the reason I love them and so many other people love them, is because it's like a personal testimony. Like they are talking for themselves. Like this is what they've been through and this is what they've experienced. And there's something that is deeply personal about the Psalms. A testimony. Hey, we had these moments in my church life when I was growing up. And almost always occurred on Sunday night. 
The pastor would get up on Sunday night sometimes, and the pastor would say, hey, tonight we're going to do something different. I'm not bringing a message. I'm not preaching. But what I want us to do is have a testimonial service. And what he meant by that was like we were all going to kind of participate, different ones. He would give an opportunity for people to get up and just give a testimony of what God was doing in their lives. Now, when I was younger, I was like a child back then. I used to think, did he just not study for a sermon tonight? Like, is that the reason he did that? Now, preachers don't do those kind of things. Surely they. And, but he would ask people to share, and they would start sharing, and they would share their personal story, okay? They would share maybe their salvation story. Sometimes they would share about how God had brought healing in their lives, or maybe they would talk about how God had restored a marriage or how God had done this. And before the service was over, you know, we were all like crying, and we were like, because something about that testimony had impacted us. Because there was a personal nature of it. Hear that. Mary is allowing you to come in to her own personal experience. As she is sharing this with us through the scripture. And she says, my, my spirit and my soul magnify the Lord. Rejoices in the Lord. And it should challenge us in worship. Just as Zach was saying to us earlier. When we come before him like this, this should be a deeply personal time for us. I know that we've got people around, and I know this is a collective worship experience. I know that, but don't miss, this should be your personal worship experience as well. You should be able to relate to the Lord as we sing. Just as Zach said earlier, there are so many of these songs that become ritualistic to us. And if we are not careful, we don't engage even with what we're saying. We just go through it just as we have done time and time before. As much as I love the Christmas Eve service, as much as I love singing Silent Night, sometimes we can just light our candle and we can make those words come out of our mouth and yet we can miss the personal experience of what God is wanting to do in our lives. Mary says... From my innermost part, I magnify you. I rejoice in you. When we come before him in worship, we ought to worship him from the innermost part of our being and who we are and cry out to him. Notice I said that Mary's Christmas carol is an intimate expression, but it is an intimate expression of joy as to what God has done. So it is an intimate expression of joy. The words magnifies or rejoiced or has rejoiced, those phrases remind us that this is a joyful song to the Lord. Now, I call it Mary's Christmas Carol. Most church historians and theologians will refer to this as the Magnificat because in the Latin version, the first word is Magnificat or it's about magnifying God. It's the idea of worship. It's the idea of joy. This perhaps is the greatest example of joy ever issued from human tongue. Because she says, I am joyful. I am magnifying the Lord. Are you joyful? Especially when you come in a frame of worship before the Lord. Again, George has done so well to remind us this morning through that prayer time of how we ought to come in joy. But are you joyful? Like, do you come? You know, so many times, 
And I'm afraid a lot of times in our Baptist churches especially, we walk in and uh, we kind of missed a little bit of the joy. I mean, you can kind of look around every now and then, right? Don't do that right now. But you could look around. And it doesn't matter if you're in a 9 a.m. blended, you're in a 10.30 gathering. Sometimes, sometimes it seems like there's a little bit of joy that's missing. Folks, joy ought to be the characteristic element of every believer. If there's anybody that should have some joy in life, it should be you if you're a believer in Christ. Even in the most difficult times. Hey, if nothing else, if nothing else, if you're a believer, God has saved you. He has given you life and life abundant. And because of that, you should have a heart that is stamped with joy. You and I ought to worship him intimately, personally, and with a sense of joy in who we are and what he's done for us. Oh, that, that's where it really resonates is, look in verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. If you were just to list the things that he has done for you, just for you, it ought to create joy in your heart. Just what he's done for you, what he's done for me, it naturally motivates us to worship. This was a natural motivation for Mary. She says, I magnify, I, I rejoice because of what he's done for me. So let's put this again in perspective. What had he done for Mary? Well, he had just told Mary through Gabriel that she would be the mother of the Messiah, that she had been chosen. Now, this was a young lady who was an unlikely candidate to be the mother of the Messiah. An unlikely candidate in what way? Well, first of all, she was really probably just going into high school. That's what age she was. Think about how young Mary was. And yet God speaks. Not only that, she's young, but she, from my understanding of Scripture, she comes from a somewhat poor family. She doesn't come from a priestly family. She doesn't come from a royal family necessarily. Well, we trace her all the way back today. I know that, but my friends, in this day and age, New Testament... She doesn't have a whole lot of resources. And yet God chose her. Oh, did you miss this? She's not married. If you're going to choose somebody that's going to have a baby, especially when you're thinking about the Bible and biblical characters and all of that kind of stuff, you would think that he would have chosen somebody married. But he doesn't. And then get this. He chooses for the Holy Spirit to overwhelm her and to bring forth a child while she is still a virgin. An unlikely candidate. She knows that. That's one of the reasons she praises God for who he is because she knows that she's an unlikely candidate. And get this, 
God is one of those who always seems to choose the, the most unlikely candidate. Read the Old Testament. Read the New Testament. He goes through human history, and he seems to pick out those people that are forgotten, that are moved to the side, those individuals that you would not have put into the redemptive story. He does it over and over, all the way back to Genesis. When he calls a man named Abram, who becomes Abraham, he calls Abram from a pagan area, not even an area that's supposed to know Yahweh God, but a pagan area, and he says to him, hey, I want you to go to a place I'm going to show you. How old is Abram? 75 years old. 75 years old, and God said, I want you to start over. Now, one thing I've learned in ministry, and I said this at the 9 a.m. service, I will say this respectfully here as well. One thing I've learned is that 75 plus years old people are not real flexible. And you can take that the way you want to take it, but they're not necessarily the ones that are ready for a change. And God goes to the most unlikely guy, 75 years old, living in a pagan area and says, I want you to move. I want you to give up everything that you've ever known and I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. And what's that is that he says, and you are going to have children. Children. You're going to be a nation. A nation. Abraham and his wife Sarah, who was obviously included in the call, had no children. Sarah was 65 when they left and went toward Canaan. According to what the scripture teaches us, some years passed. She is approaching 90 years of age and she's not have a, had a child. I'm going to tell you that she probably, like, she put those uh, baby shower invitations, she put those in the garbage a long time ago. 90? 90! But God chooses her to bring forth a child. I say that all you got to do is look through the scripture and you'll find account after account. You'll find how God uses Ruth, a Moabitess, how he'll take Esther, who is a Jew living in a Persian area and somehow puts her upon the throne. You'll find account after account of God taking the most unlikely candidates like Mary and using him or her for God's glory. Now again, why would he pick the most unlikely candidates? To prove us something. Back in verse 37 of this chapter, the angel talking about this announcement, talking about what he was doing in Elizabeth's life as well, what God was doing, the angel said this, for with God, nothing will be impossible. You know why God chooses the most unlikely candidates? Those that seem to be in the background that he brings forward because he wants to show people that it's his power that makes a difference. Not our talents, not our giftedness, not our own human strength, but his power that can make the impossible possible. And that brings God to glory. Because when we achieve things in our own strength, people look around and they, oh, that's, that's awesome. You did a great job. What if God does something that so astounds people that people will look and say, not that you did so great, but rather God must have done something great. Mary knows that's what happened. 
she knows that she's been chosen. And that is the reason she has joy. She also recognizes that she is blessed beyond. Oh, note this. It says here in verse 48, For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. She knew that there would be a blessing upon her life. Now, this is probably where I should stop and say that Mary is not a mediator between God and man. Never has been, never will be. There's only one mediator between God and man, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Mary is not divine. Mary, she didn't remain sinless from this point forward. She was human flesh. She recognized that. But she also knew that she was blessed. The angel had said, you are blessed among women. Elizabeth had echoed those words, you are blessed among women. And she knew because she was going to bear the Messiah that there would be blessing for all generations to come. And while we do not recognize her as the mediator between God and man, we ought to know, we ought to know that she holds an honored place in the kingdom and in the scripture because of her willingness, her willingness to follow the Lord, her willingness to be obedient. That's where I want to show you. As you work through this scripture, you'll see that not only was there an intimate expression of joy over what God had done, but there was also an individual expression of obedience at what God was or is doing in Mary's life. An individual expression. So look again. It says here that, verse 48, for he has regarded the lowly, the lowly state of his maidservant. She calls herself a servant. She says, I'm a servant. I'm here. When the angel had appeared to her, Gabriel, back in verse 38, she said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She was saying, Here I am. I'm your servant. I will obey. I will do whatever you call me to do. Here I am. And this song reminds us that she is humbling herself still like, God, okay, you said you were going to do this. Here I am. Whatever you want to do. She was completely yielded. When's the last time that you came before God, whether it was in a worship experience like this or maybe in a personal worship experience, when was the last time you just came before him and said, God, I'm putting it all out there. I yield myself totally. For you. Some of you say, oh, Reggie, I did that when I accepted Christ. That, that's cool. But you know what? As a believer, you still have to come back to him from time to time, not to get new salvation, but rather to, to submit yourself to his will for your life. When's the last time you just said, okay, God, I'm putting it all out there. It's all yours. She said, I'm your servant. God, here I am. You take my life, you use it accordingly. I'm sold out for you. What I love about Mary's statement here is that she 
is expressing her individual obedience of what God's doing, but she's doing it despite what might happen, despite the consequences. One, here's a young lady, and she's about to be pregnant. Even that can be frightening to some degree. I remember when, like, Leslie became pregnant for the first time, and we were even going through that time that she would say, you weren't going through that time. I was going through the time. But as I was journeying with her through that pregnancy, there were so many questions. I mean, just the, I mean, the first time you go through it, I know there are books out there. I read a lot of them. But when you actually go through it as a couple, there are all kinds of issues. And here she is. She says, okay, Lord, if you want me to be pregnant, that's good. I will go through it as a young lady. But not only is she yielding herself to the pregnancy, but she's also yielding herself to possible ridicule and contempt. Don't forget, she's not married when she becomes pregnant. Oh, I can imagine the way it worked. She walked into the synagogue and she was already showing. And you know, they were there in the synagogue probably like they're in our churches. I'm trying not to look at any certain pew. But I remember they seemed to always find their rightful place at the church I grew up. It was a group of ladies and when they would see something like this, they would begin counting from the marriage ceremony just to see when that due date was. You know it's true. Can you imagine the ridicule and the contempt that Mary faced? And she knew she would. Do you know the Pharisees, when they really wanted to injure Jesus, you know what they would say? They would make reference to his illegitimate birth because the story hounded him for all of his ministry, all his life. Because everybody knew. Oh, everybody knew. Everybody talked. Contempt and ridicule. And yet, yet here's Mary, knowing all that stuff's coming. What'd she say? Lord, here I am. I'm your servant. Whatever. I want to be obedient to you. Take it a step farther. You realize in the New Testament age, with this young lady becoming pregnant out of wedlock, Deuteronomy says that she could be stoned. Let it settle in for you a moment. And maybe it'll give you a new significance for the obedience of Mary when she looks and says, okay, God. Because see, some of us look at it and say, oh, that's great. That's a great story. And it sounds just like, yes, if, if God had said that, that's what I would do. There's no doubt. Would you do it despite the consequences that would come? Mary in her song, she expresses, she expresses this intimate joy. But she also expresses this individual obedience. Again, when's the last time through worship you just said, God, whatever it is, whatever you ask me to do, blank check, Lord, I give it to you. You write on it what you ask, what you want, and I will deposit it 
and I will follow through. Oh, let me, let me come back just to this, kind of thread this together for you. Joyful obedience. I just told you in the beginning, joy, I rejoice. She rejoices in her obedience, no matter what might come. See, I see a lot of people who are obedient, but they're kind of like, they walk in and say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here to serve. I want to serve. Yeah, it's kind of getting me, getting me a little bit out of my comfort zone, but I'll do it. Well, I hadn't been feeling the best yet, but I'll drug myself up here to make sure. Joyful obedience. God hadn't called you to drag around. God hadn't called you to be weary in your service. God has called you to say, okay, God, here's what I place before you. That's my life. And God, I'm going to do it joyfully. I'm going to do it the way you asked me to because I want to represent you to all I come in contact. Mary gives us an intimate expression of joy and she gives us an individual expression of obedience in what God is doing. I'll just finally share this with you. What also Mary gives us here is I think an inclusive expectation of what God is going to do. An individual expectation of what God is going to do. So look, if you will, in these last few verses of her song, like verse 49, we'll pick up there. It says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. So there's the individual personal blessing she's talking about. But look in verse 50. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his seed forever. See, here's where she moves and she's like, this is not just about the blessing upon me. This is also about the blessing upon the nation, his people, and beyond. That's the reason I call it an exclusive, or inclusive, I should say, an inclusive an inclusive expression of the expectation that God was going to do something. She said, this is about all of us. Because, again, the angel, over in verse 32 and verse 33, the angel had said, this will be a king. Your child will be a king. He will sit upon the throne of David. She knew, as a young Jewish woman, that the angel was referring to the Messiah. So she knew that there was something greater here than just personal blessing. She knew that this was going to include blessing for the nation and beyond. She was steeped in her Jewish custom and understanding. She knew the words God had spoken to Abraham, that in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. She knew and she looked forward to expectation that the Lord would fulfill his promise. Did she grasp everything fully here? I don't think so, not at this point. I don't think she could totally see exactly how her son would die on the cross and be resurrected. I don't think she could see it at this point. 
But she knew that God was going to work in his own way, in his own time. And the way she describes it is that he's going to take that which has been celebrated, the rich. He was bringing that down. He was, he was going to be there for the poor. He was going to be feeding the hungry. Also, not just physically, but spiritually. He was going to bring a transformed idea of the kingdom. That would be echoed by Jesus when he stood for the very first time and he preached in his public ministry. He shared from Isaiah, and this is what he said. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He was coming to bring freedom for the oppressed. He was coming to radically change people's idea of the kingdom and usher in a kingdom of God, not a kingdom of man. And Mary expected that. She celebrated that. So when I was working through this, I noticed something. Okay, so I, was, I noticed something grammatically about the verbs. And I love to say verbs because you all get like a bunch of joy in your heart. Like when I talk about the grammar of the passage or something, I can just tell. It's like a revival is going to break out around this place. But I, I noticed something about the verbs of some of these verses. Here she is talking about the future. You know, you know what she does? She uses verbs like in the past tense. Like she's talking about future events, but she's talking about them in the past. And I went and I studied, I read like all these different, like why did she do that? Like it seems kind of strange, you know, that Mary would do it in such a way. And I've come to this conclusion. Is that as she was singing, she was singing about and, and expressing her inclusive expectation of what God was going to do. She realized that what God had promised to do, he would fulfill. And yes, it was a future event, but God was so faithful God was so faithful, you could talk about it like it was in the past. Like that which is in the future, you could already consider it to be done because God is that faithful. God has promised in such a way what he will do. And that's the way it is in your life, right? Like we believe Jesus is coming. We talk about that in the future, but it is as good as done because God's already said he's going to do it. And that's what Mary did here. He's going to come. So Luke wrote his gospel about A.D. 60. That's when Luke wrote his gospel. Luke tells us that he interviewed people, that he had eyewitnesses that he talked to. And I don't know for certain, but I think I and a lot of other folks who study the Scripture believe that Luke probably interviewed Mary, especially when you read all of this. The Holy Spirit certainly directed them, but interviewed Mary. A.D. 60. That was like 60 years or so after the angel had announced the birth to Mary. A.D. 60. That would be about 30 years since she watched her son die on the cross. 
She's had a lot of time to think about it, and here she is giving them the song. Maybe she went and wrote the song down at some point. She wrote it down so that it, maybe the Holy Spirit had just placed it in her mind, and she put it there, and Luke recorded it for us. But can you imagine as she sat there and talked to Dr. Luke some 60 years after the angel had appeared, some 30 years, and she talked about how God had blessed her, how God had worked and how God had was going to fulfill the kingdom purposes. And now she's sitting down 30 so years after his ministry, 30 so years after he was crucified and his, he was resurrected. And she's sitting there talking about all these things. And I don't know, maybe, maybe she just burst out in song again. Maybe she... Maybe she gave that same song to Luke, said, hey, record this. This is the song. And as he heard it, as he wrote it down, and as we've heard it this morning, it was an intimate expression of joy for what God had done for her. It was an individual expression of obedience for what God was doing in her at the moment, at the time. And she remembered even then that it was an inclusive, expression of expectation that she had seen in some way already come to fruition. And she sat there and she praised him. My friends, I come to you this morning and I ask you again, when is the last time that you approached God just as Mary approached him? When was the last time you had an intimate joy when was the last time you just cried out to him? Said, God, thank you for what you have done for me. When's the last time in a church service or maybe even your personal life in your home that you just got down on your knees and you said, God, here it is. I put it all out. I'm fully submitted to whatever you ask me to do, no matter what. When was the last time you expected him? You expected him to move in your life for kingdom priorities? When's the last time you expected him to do something tremendous within your church and within your family? When was the last time that in your worship you expressed that? We're going to have a moment of commitment and invitation in a moment. And I'm going to ask you, if you will, to seek him, to lay yourself out before him, to give yourself intimately to him, whether it's here at this altar, whether it's there where you are, whatever you need to do, may you reflect Mary's heart in who you are, even this day in your worship. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and we prepare ourselves for this moment of reflection and commitment. God, we're thankful for the example that you've given to us. And God, we know also that you chose us to be able to work in your kingdom and be a part of your kingdom and do so much, Lord. And we did, you did it not because we were so deserving, but just because of your grace. Some of us were unlikely candidates, and yet you uh, worked in our lives to bring us to these moments. God, I pray right now, this would not be just another Sunday where we just simply go through a song, go through 
the ritual of a commitment, time. Father, I pray that you would invade our hearts, that today would be a day when we give ourselves to you again fully and wholly, submitted to you and your will. God, build in us a sense of expectation. Build within us a sense of joy. Build within us, even now, a sense of longing for relationship within you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?